0: you alive, vibrant, surviving the cold of April. My goodness, Lord, I just need you to bring warmth, the warmth of your Holy Spirit. I feel like we need to cry out to the Lord for the weather. Uh, good morning. We welcome you here this morning. We're so glad that you're here and alive and looking good this morning. I thank God that people can look good, yay, even on the Sunday after Easter. Um, and so if you're here, if you, if you came back after Easter Sunday, I just want to congratulate you and thank you for returning. Apparently I didn't scare you off enough last week, so welcome. Uh, if you're here for the first time, I really didn't do anything that scary last week, so don't be afraid. Uh, we left the snakes at home. Um, no, but seriously, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. You are joining us, kind of, as we are coming to the end of a 13-week journey that was begun uh, back in February in a series called "Long Story Short." As we have been looking at the overarching meta-narrative of Scripture, beginning in Genesis, and we will end in Revelation, and looking at how we are a part of this grand story. We are a part of the gospel, and that the same things that God is doing in people as we see in the scriptures, the things that he wants to do in our lives and move in incredible and powerful ways. And so I'm really excited about this morning. But I actually want to start off this morning um, just to pray. Uh, we, We are a part of the body of Christ, the global body of Christ. We're part of a church family called Every Nation Ministries. That's kind of our tribe But we are also part of the grander body of Christ globally. And last Easter, as many people were getting baptized in various churches and having time out in front of photo booths, um, our family, the family of God, and part of church communities in Sri Lanka were grieving bombings and a series of attacks that took place last weekend. And so I just want to take a moment to lift up our family this morning. Can we do that today? Can we uh, extend our hearts and our faith to care for those uh, on the other side of the globe? Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. Lord, we come before you as sons and daughters. And Lord, we lift up our family across the globe. Lord, we do recognize that there is need and there is ache and there is brokenness all around us. We don't have to go across the ocean to see it. And yet, Lord, we do not want to relent and miss out on an opportunity to extend our faith to stand with some in this moment. And so, Lord, we lift up those in the three church communities in Sri Lanka that were bombed. Lord, we ask that you would comfort those who mourn. Lord, we ask that you would stand and you would, as, even as you are near to the broken, the broken-hearted. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to mothers and fathers to husbands and wives and sons and daughters. Lord, that you would strengthen the hearts of the ministers, God, who are standing before a body of believers with fewer than they had last week and wondering if they can make it. Lord, I ask even as you have strengthened believers across the globe in times of utter devastation, in times of martyrdom in times of brokenness and persecution that you would strengthen them today Lord that our prayers would be joined with the prayers across the globe Lord that those that are in persecution under persecution those who today don't get to openly worship boldly and freely as we do this morning Lord that they would be strengthened that they would be emboldened and they would not grow weary in well-doing Lord I also pray That in this moment, Lord, in the midst of the tragedy, God, that you would raise up men and women of God who would extol you, Lord, who would lift you up, and that they would see revival and transformation in their nation, that they would see revival and transformation in their communities, Lord, that the enemy would have no moment to gloat over what took place last weekend and light of the victory that we celebrated last week and that you are the resurrection and the life and that you do miraculous things, not just 2,000 years ago, but the miracle at at Calvary, the miracle at the tomb where the stone was rolled away echoes and ripples throughout eternity. So we honor you. We lift up our brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray that we would be even more emboldened to be your hands and feet in our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Well, this prayer as I'm thinking about the topic this morning as we have been going along in this journey. Today we're focusing on the mission. Last week we talked about the resurrection, what the resurrection means, and it's amazing because you know sometimes you have these moments. Particularly, uh, we see this in the the realm of sports. Where you come to the playoffs, and then if your team happens to lose or doesn't even make it in, you're kind of like, okay, well, I guess, what do we, next season, hopefully. Or even if you win, and it's a great and a glorious win, there's still this sense of, okay, we'll celebrate this for like a few minutes. We might order something online from Time Life that will never open again. Uh, we might celebrate this and look back on it, but what now? And so we want to talk about the what now after the resurrection. What does this mean? What What do we do now with this newfound grace and this glory and this hope that has come alive? So to begin to unpack this, I want to look at, um, you know, one of my favorite all-time uh, literary works is the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Any Chronicles of Narnia fans in the room? C.S. Lewis fans, I love it. Um, and you know, a few years ago, you know, you always get a little bit scared when somebody makes a movie from books that you love. Uh, but a few few years ago, Disney decided they were going to do some of these Chronicles of Narnia movies. And and uh, one particular there's this scene at the beginning of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader that I love, where they're in this room. And there is a picture of the water in the bedroom. And the very annoying Eustace is making fun of his cousins uh, about, you know, their, their adventures. Or this make, he's making fun of this belief in this, this world that they've experienced and this faith that they've come into. And so instead of just, you know, talking more about it, I want to show you a clip. I want you to look at this and we'll go from here. Lucy, have you seen the ship before? Yes. It's very Narnian-looking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, just another reminder that we're here and not there. There are once were or two orphans who wasted their time believing in Narnian nursery rhyme. Not so fascinating about that picture anyway. It's hideous. I Edmund, mean, it looks like the water's actually moving. What rubbish, see? That's what happens when you read all those fanciful novels and fairy tales. Edmund, the painting! It's alright i got you Caspian Lucy I'm going to I know some of you probably just want to watch the rest of it. And you're like, hey, we already took up the offer. Can we just watch the movie? Um, now, the first time that we meet the Pevensies in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that, we see that they enter into this place through a wardrobe. Specifically to here, it goes through the picture frame. And really what it is, it's just entering in. It's a portal into a different reality, a place called Narnia, to meet a lion named Aslan. And the picture frame reframes for them their reality. It reframes who they are because in their present circumstance, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy are just boys and girls. But in Narnia, once they enter through the picture frame, they discover that they are kings and queens. They're royalty. See, I believe that the Bible is our picture frame. It redefines our reality. You see, the Scripture says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for them. But God has revealed it to us through His Spirit. We are aware, we become aware of a different reality. It redefines possibility. The Scripture says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It reframes my identity. It tells me I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. So I I, want—I paint this picture because I really do believe that for a lot of us and for a lot of people, whether it be people who are—who never, you know, come into a church or those who spent—have frequent flyer miles in the church, many times the Bible is just a nice painting that hangs on the wall or it sits at the bedside table. We maybe give it an occasional glance. But it becomes nothing more than a pretty picture to look at. And it just becomes, we just function out of the status quo. We function just okay with just hearing it or knowing about it. God doesn't want us to just operate in this stagnant place. He's called us not just to read it, but to actually do it. You know, James exhorts us in the the book of James to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Are you just a hearer this morning, or are you a doer? And it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Now, I know that sometimes we hear this, it's, it's not to put anybody on a guilt trip. You know, one of the most common prayer requests when people come to the altar you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the go-to. It's like, man, I just need to, man, pastor, I just need you to pray for me. I know I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. We all do. We know that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, come up am saying, pastor, you know, I just know I need to breathe more oxygen. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, these are, these, we, we, we get this. The point is not to put you into a guilt trip, but also to recognize that if we never activate our faith, if we never actually do what we are reading about and what we are hearing, then we cultivate this incubator of hypocrites. And we don't get anywhere. It's why so many people become frustrated and give up on their faith. It's not because the faith didn't work. It's because you didn't work it. You can get really tired and you can expend a lot of energy on a treadmill and get nowhere. God doesn't want you just to be on the perpetual treadmill. He wants to help you to get from point A to becoming more and more like Him. When we think about this, uh, and, and particularly I think this is a great point to talk about this series, is the whole point of unpacking Long Story Short is not just to look at these stories that have happened in history and say, oh man, that was amazing, that's really cool, but it's actually to recognize that what God did before, He wants to also do in you. And that we need, I don't know about you, we need an exodus. We need a comeback. We need a resurrection. We need a God who will step into our lives, step into our situations, and work a miracle. See, these things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, they're a microcosm of what God wants to do in our world, in us, in you. So if this is going to come alive, if it's not just going to be another you know, thing that we look up, you know, we, we just have all of the, the pictures on our wall or the pictures on your timeline or the pictures in your Instagram feed with your coffee mug and your Bible and just so the people can recognize it, but it actually at work in your life. Well, what does it require? It's a lot more simple than I think we make it. It requires that we follow Jesus. I know, you're like, well, I came all the way here for that. Father, Jesus, it seems so simple. I want to invite you to just turn to your Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, or your technology, whichever app, your app of choice. If you didn't come with anything, we're a full-service church. We have the Scripture up on the side. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him but some doubted. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, there are people that can take something very simple and complicated. I'm sure we know somebody like this in our lives. But then there are also some who can take something very complicated and simplify it. And especially, you know, especially if someone has a gift of teaching. They have this ability to take complicated concepts or things that we perceive as complicated and simplify it. And I would say that there was none better at doing this than Jesus. See, Jesus would take 613 commandments from the Old Testament and boil it down to still it into something he calls the Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Let's do that. If we do, then. Everything else will take care of itself. He sums it all in this. If we're going to be great at anything, if we're going to pursue greatness and and success in anything, let us pursue to fulfill this great commandment, to be great at loving God and grow in greatness and loving other people. But along with the great commandment, we see here in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Now, what we just read in Matthew 28, these are the last words of Christ before his ascension to the Father. And he basically is telling his disciples to make disciples. He's saying, what I've done with you for the last three years in ministry, essentially what, you, what you've seen me do, I want you now to continue it. Continue the work. Now, I just think it, it, they must have been, you know, the simplicity kind of strikes me. You know, can you imagine here you've walked with Jesus for three years. You've you've come off of just the most impossible. You've navigated through the most impossible things that you've never had a framework for in your life. You're hanging on his every word. You're waiting to hear what is he going to say. And wait, what, what are we doing? Make disciples. Now, I love the simplicity of it because you can't really confuse it. It's very simple, but it's powerful. It's these two words, make disciples. Now, when I say it, I know for many people, the reason that we don't do it isn't because of the simplicity, it's because it seems very daunting and complicated. We can often just kind of relegate this this commission of making disciples to the vocational minister's we just say, I'm not really, I'm I'm just kind of introverted. It's just not really my thing. You know, I just, you know, uh, I just let other people do that. You know, it's one of the reasons it always strikes me very interesting whenever somebody makes a statement about faith in Christ being a very private thing. Because I would counter that and say, that's not faith in Christ. Oh, gosh. Woo, Jesus. Why you got to step on people's toes this morning, Jesus? <laughs> Are y'all with me this morning? Hey, I, I I just tell you, I love you so much. I don't want anybody to walk in deception. Right. Right. I do not want you to be deceived. You see, you you see right here. If you would ask Jesus, what does it mean to follow Him? It means make disciples. That means there's going to come times when you're going to have to leave where you are to where he wants you to go because there's someone who needs to know about him. That means you can live around people all you want, but at some point it says teaching them, teaching them about following. At some point you're going to have to open up your mouth. Y'all with me? It's so quiet. It's so quiet. It's It's all right. It's all right. I just don't want us to walk in deception because God wants you to have life and life more abundantly. He never meant you to just watch and look at the picture on the wall. He wants you to be immersed. He wants you to walk in this adventure, experience this adventure. And so what my hope is, is to help you understand we don't need a whole lot more information to actually obey this commandment. Sometimes you think, oh, but I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't done this. I don't know all these things. And I just, I just got saved last week. I can't make a disciple. You know, one of my pastors and mentors, uh, Pastor Steve, uh, Steve Murrell, who's the president of Every Nation Ministries, he said it so simply. We have uh, an amazing book. It's, it's a foundation. It teaches the biblical foundations. It's called the Purple Book. We have some copies here. But we used to ask, I remember having a group of us 20-year-olds, we're like, Pastor Steve, what what do we got to do to make disciples? How much do we need to learn? And he goes, well, um, just stay one chapter ahead of the next person. (laughs) And he said, and if he gets ahead of you, then he's discipling you. It's a lot more simple than we make it. And so my desire is to help you understand. I want to break it down and help simplify it so that we can walk in boldness, so that we can walk in courage, G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to cower back. We just need to listen to what God is saying. And we need some courage. We don't just need more information. We need some activation of faith, activation of courage. So I want to break down for you this morning and simplify what is discipleship? So I'm going to start out this way. The call to discipleship is twofold. Discipleship is a call to be and make in Christ. Look at somebody next to you. Say, be. be. Oh, that was so weak sauce. <laughs> okay, try that again. Say, be. be. Look, ooh, That, that had a little bit more, a little bit more unction on it. Look at the next person. Say, make. make. Very simple. The call to disciples is a call to be and to make. First of all, the first step is we must embrace the call to be a disciple. Now, a disciple is a disciplined follower of a person or practice. Through Christi- though Christianity, it really encapsulates all of this, we do not want to lose sight of the fact that our ultimate call is to follow and become like Jesus— That's what it's all about. We want to become more and more like Jesus. Now, you think about this. The disciples spent about three years with Jesus. They listened to his teaching. They were with him when he was feeding the 5,000. They were actually not just witnessing a miracle, but partaking in of a miracle. But can I also tell you that they did not just go to listen to the sermons and go to the cookouts. But he actually stepped in their world. You know, we can say, I will go where you would go. And we like that. Jesus, let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere. And then Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. You're like, well, I didn't really clean up. And we got laundry and my drawers are on the couch. We see with, with Peter, Jesus, he didn't just say, step out of the boat. We talk about that miracle, but there was times when he said, hey, Peter, I'm stepping on your boat. Part of following Jesus is saying, Jesus, you can go wherever you want to go and whatever you want to touch on. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you when it's uncomfortable. You know, part of following Jesus is recognizing him as we've talked about the last couple weeks is that he's not just Uh, The Messiah he's not just Savior he's Lord he's King that means we submit our lives we say God all that I am all of my dreams all of my finances all of my relationships me following you is surrendering it all and this is not truly tested until Jesus calls us to go in a direction that is against our will we all think we're great at following Jesus until he says something we don't like. Whew. It's like the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, i fulfilled, I've done all of the, obeyed all the commandments. And, and I'm, I'm sure he was thinking like, I'm going to be the f- number one draft picked in the disciple draft. I will be the greatest among the apostles. And Jesus says, um, won't you sell all your possessions And then follow me. I even wonder at that point, if he just thought for a second, wait, you mean like 10%? <laughs> like, no. Oh. And it says that he walked away forlorn. How many times do we, you know, have a spiritual moment? Like, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Follow you. Why don't you delete her number out of your phone? Oh. Do I have to unfollow her on Facebook? No, Jesus. (laughs) I will follow you. Why don't you call up your parent and tell them you forgive them? Oh. But I deleted their number. (laughs) The call to follow is the call to lordship. He has invited us to follow him. You know, today we actually have several people who are going to get baptized. I'm excited about that. Baptism, it is a public and a supernatural act of public protest and proclamation that I choose. I have decided to follow Jesus. If you're getting baptized this morning, I'm just going to ask you, go ahead, stand up. Stand up if you're getting baptized today. Yeah! Come on, somebody. We want—go ahead, stay standing, stay standing, because we're actually going to send y'all out so you can get prepared, okay? But I just want to—I want to commend you for taking this step of faith. It is not something light. It's not just—you're not just getting sprinkled today, and I promise you'll come up. I promise you. But you are making a bold declaration, and you're doing it in front of everybody, because the whole point of it is to publicly, to let people know. I am not my own. My life belongs to Jesus. And we want to celebrate with you today as you take that step. So what I want to ask you to do, we got Amy in the back. Follow Amy. You follow Amy and then you follow Jesus. But you can go out there and get ready. Can we give them a hand as they get out? Go out and get ready for this baptism. So first and foremost, as I said, the call to discipleship is a call to be a disciple. It's a call to follow Jesus. Now secondly, it's not just that we embrace the call to be. We must own the call to make disciples. Just let that hit you. That's a call for you. It's got to be personal. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, Paul is writing a letter to his disciple, to his son in the faith, and he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Uh, You know, when we talk about the concept of making a disciple, again, sometimes it can be overcomplicated. Are there resources, are there materials, are there ways that we can help people grow in their discipleship walk? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it always look exactly the same? No, it doesn't always look exactly the same, and yet there are some very key components. There's a very essential aspect of it. You see, a big part of it is that discipleship, the simplest way I can put it is discipling someone, is helping them get from point A to point B. Or I like to say point A to point becoming. Why do I say that? Because the goal isn't like growing as a disciple of Jesus isn't a place that you're all of a sudden going to get to the destination in a couple years. You're like, done it. Beam me up, Jesus. No. We will continually be becoming more and more like Jesus. And so the goal is to help people get from where they are one step closer to him one step closer to becoming who he's called them to be. It is important, it is important that we help people, we we meet them and we love them where they are. I cannot go to my five-year-old Johnny and expect him to be at the same level as a Mr. Ben Adcock in his faith, in his experience, in his maturity. Maybe his maturity. I'm just playing with you, Ben. I love you, homie. (laughs) That's my dog. I, I don't come at him with the same, as, the same expectations. Why? Because he's five. And he's a little crazy. <laughs> I got to meet him where he is. But there's a big but here. Is that, remember, discipleship is helping people get from where they are to becoming more like Jesus. And so if we're not actually helping people walk in the direction of Jesus... We're actually doing something that I believe is very, very cruel and cowardly. We're withholding the most important element. We're withholding the only hope that any of us have for people to actually walk in freedom. It would be like having, can you imagine, parents? Christmas is coming. You got all the presents. You got that extra bonus. All the things on the wish list. All the things. Not just what your kids need, but they want. You've got it. And they come down, and they've got their PJs on, and you're praying, Christmas time is here. And everything is coming, and they're excited, and they can see it, and they can, exp- they can see all the presents and all the gifts, and they see the big one that's tucked in behind the tree and all these things. And then you like, say, Merry Christmas. All right. Let's go eat some Cheerios. And they're like, we're here. The thing that we we want, the thing that has actually already been paid for, purchased, made available, is in the room. Why won't you actually help me experience it? Discipleship is leading people to Jesus, helping them take that next step. Part of taking that next step also requires tough love. It requires truth in love. See, there's going to be a lot of moments when you are helping someone, when you're making disciples, when you're helping someone get from point A to becoming, where it will call for patience. Love is patient. To make a requirement, I I had an incredible man of God that was pouring into me when I moved to Tallahassee by the name of Ginam Lim. He was a Singaporean man. And this brother was a disciple-making machine. And we would call him Lim. And he would often tell me, I remember his first meeting with me, discipleship appointment, he goes, John, let me tell you something. I always, I was an engineer. I wanted to be a shipbuilder. God told me, I'm going to have you be relationships, fellowship, discipleship. He said, John, you need to know something about discipleship. Everybody thinks it's so fun, it's so glamorous. Discipleship is changing Christian diapers. (laughs) To truly make disciples requires patience. It means when you meet people where they are, they're not going to figure everything out at first. They might need to step outside a city group to have a quick cigarette. There might be times, I remember there was a guy in one of our prayer groups, he had just got saved. I mean, like, he got saved, walked out of the flames and into the service. And he was like, they gave him the mic to pray, and my man was going for it. And he dropped some colorful language in that prayer. He had just heard that, you know, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. My man got up in that prayer meeting. He goes, I mean, we're royalty. We're effing royalty. A couple of the deacons were like, The church mother in the back was like, Yes, sir, yes, sir. Come on, baby. It requires patience and love. I'm telling you guys we have not even began to scratch the surface, begun to scratch the surface of who God's calling us to reach in this city. People who will make you uncomfortable. People who make you want to lock your doors before you come in. And I'm not saying this to be funny. Some of it, you know, it's like, Just the reality is when we get around our bubbles and we just fill our lives with what seems safe and secure, and that's not a bad thing to want your kids to be in safe places. I understand that, but it is a luxury that not everybody has. And we're not limiting the reach of the gospel. I'm so thankful that the reach of the gospel wasn't reserved to the safe places. That God went to the far reaches, not just of geographical places, but depths of my soul. You know right now, if everybody knew what was happening in you, they'd want to lock their doors. And I'm not saying that to call you out to shame you. I'm just saying we all got things that God wants to deal with, and I'm so thankful that he's patient with me. I'm so thankful that, you know, he, he doesn't look at me when I'm struggling or dealing with something that I, that I feel in my mind. Gosh, I should have figured that out 20 years ago. And he's like, you know what? I got grace for you, and I love you, son. And I'm not leaving you. I don't have a time limit. I'm going to stand with you. Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. It's going to require love, but it's also going to require truth. Truth means that there is a way that is right. There is a foundation upon which we must build, even when it hurts, even if it takes time, even if we don't like it. Some, if you truly love someone and you answer in an oneness, embrace this call to make disciples, it will require that you lead them to truth, even if it offends them. You know, I am so grateful for our worship team. And I just, I I couldn't help but be tickled this morning when our worship director, our worship leader, Judah, my brother, his grand exhortation is, God, I pray that you would make people uncomfortable. <laughs> Can I tell you how many church staff meetings that begin and end with, okay, guys, we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, we don't want to offend, we want to be just be careful. You know, and, and I get it, there's philosophies, but the reason he says that is not just because he wants you all twitching and feeling weird. He actually loves you. He loves you. We, we, we want to walk in love because we actually believe that as Ephesians says, that we, the body, is called to build each other up into the head that is Christ. You know, I know that there's some people that were competing in a CrossFit competition. There's some other CrossFitters in here. I know you might be surprised. I'm not one of them, but, you know, God's working on me. But they understand that in order to be built into what they are called to, what they need to be built at to compete, it will be uncomfortable. We have to be, not be afraid to lead people to Jesus. Oh, man. I'm going to say this, this last point, and then I'm going to wrap up. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. You know, one of the things about discipleship is within our mission statement as a church, we say we exist, City of Lights exists, to connect in people, to ignite a city, and light the world for the glory of God. And and really when we extrapolate this out, it kind of forms what is our discipleship philosophy, where our number one goal is we want to connect people to Jesus. You want, you If we just connect you to us and not Jesus we fail we want you to meet Jesus that's why we preach out of this Bible that's why we worship him and not our feelings we want to connect you to Jesus but you want to be made alive we want you to be ignited and awakened into your calling into your purpose why did God put you on this planet because we believe that if we truly come alive in Jesus then you will light and you will shine wherever and for whomever He takes you. One of the ways that you make disciples is by doing what God has given you to do with passion and excellence. Some of you get overwhelmed because you're like, Do I have to lead a city group? Be excellent at what you do in your workplace. It's amazing how people will want to follow a winner. Y'all hear me this morning. Do what you do in view of Jesus. What would happen in your workplace if you, your motivation was not just promotion and pursuing a resource, but working in such a way that it actually glorified God? Some people don't want to follow you not because you're a, not a Christian, not because you're a Christian. They don't want to follow you because what they look is not desirable. They, they, what, what would it look like if when you do what Matthew 5 exhorts us in, it says, let your light so shine before others that they would give praise, that they would see your good works and give praise to your Father in heaven. The way in which we walk and talk and interact, that passion becomes contagious. That passion becomes something that people want to be a part of. We have to embrace the call to be. We have to own the call to make. And so I want to ask this question Have you taken the Great Commission literally? I want to I push a little further and say, has this great commission, has this call been something that you own personally? Each and every one of us that is walking as sons and daughters of the living God, each and every person who recognizes Jesus as rescuer and king is called to own this call. To be and to make. Now I want to encourage you because some of you, you you might be sweating, thinking about, some of you, you're already making disciples. You're already doing this, whether you're doing it at home with your children. You know, one of the things, I'm so grateful for our City Kids ministry. I'm so thankful for all of the volunteers, my mom and so many who serve faithfully each and every week. But I don't expect city kids to be the chief agent of discipleship in your children's lives or mine. That's us. That's us. Eventually, as we grow and expand and have a youth group, our goal is never to circumvent your God-given call and mark to disciple your kids. We want to come alongside and support. Some of you already, God has given you leadership. He's giving you influence, and, and, and you're already taking advantage. You know, sometimes a word that we're more familiar with is just apprenticeship or mentorship. God's giving you that burden, and you, you feel this tug to help others become great and pursue greatness. That's discipleship. But let's wholly embrace it. Let's help people not just be better with a task but help them meet the lover of their souls. Help them know and take a step closer to the Redeemer, to take a step closer to the Restorer, to take a step closer to freedom, to take a step closer to the mercy that they so desperately want, to take a step closer to the friend who is closer than a brother, I believe that as we embrace this, we're going to see God move in such a way that we will actually begin in greater measure doing what I believe every church plant is called to do. It's not just to create a space for the church people to gather on Sunday to actually see the lost welcomed and called home. It's not just going to come from me. It's going to come as each and every one of us. And I'm not just talking to the grown-ups. I know we have some young people in here, and I want to challenge you young people. God has given you a voice. You You don't get a junior Holy Spirit when he comes and resides in you. He chose a young teenage girl to release the Rescuer and the King of all eternity. God can use you right now. He wants to move through your life right now. Can we, as individuals, but can we as a people, commit to not just being content with the picture hanging on the wall? Would you dare to step out in courage and actually allow his word and this call, the commandment and the commission to consume you? It might look like signing up for City 101 next week, coming and stepping out. It might look like joining a city group. It might look like following Jesus might look like making a serving in one of the community outreaches or just whatever that step looks like ask the Lord God what is my next step it might look like not just inviting your coworker or neighbor to lunch but also inviting them to church sharing your story with them Peter Marshall said this, I wonder what would happen if we all agreed to read one of the Gospels until we came to a place that it told us to do something and then we went out and did it Only after, and we didn't come back until we actually do- had done what we had read. It's not just a call when we say let there be lights. It's not just a call for these lights to turn on. It's a call to be and a call to make. So, this morning we're going to end our service in celebrating the call to follow Jesus. We're going to baptize some people and I want to invite you, you know, even if you're here this moment and you're not being baptized this morning, one, I would say if you are here and God just cut you, you're like, I need to be baptized. You can come over here and see, Amy, we got extra shirts and some towels. But I, I, I also want to say that it all begins, it all begins by following Jesus. By saying, I have decided I'm not just going to live the same way I've lived. <laughs> I don't want to just keep going my own way. Some of you in here today, you have been standing at the fork in the road time after time after time, and you have journeyed around, and you keep coming to the same place, and it's this place where God is saying, sir, will you follow me? And you know that you know that your answer to your prayers, you know that the answer to your cries is waiting for you to take that step. But fear has kept you bound. Fear of what it means for your family. Fear for what it means for your coworkers, Fear for what it means for that dream that you're afraid to let go of, but you still don't have and you will never have it until you say yes to him. And I am just praying today that today would be the day that courage fills your bones, that faith stirs in your heart, and that you become so uncomfortable, as De- Judas said earlier, that you can't even walk out of the why until you take one step to follow Jesus today. Worship team, come on up. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna baptize these people. And then I'm telling you today. I just wanna pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're stirring me up this morning. I know that today lives are in the balance. No day is promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that in your mercy that you would remove the scales and the calluses. I believe even as I'm praying to write this moment that there's at least one person in here that you've done the church thing, From external appearances, you actually have done a really good job of making it look like you have it all together. And yet, the calluses around your heart, from disappointment, from hurt, are so thick and so deep that it's been a long time. You've you've gone to church, but it's been a long time since you actually felt his presence, that you felt the love that he has poured out on you, and I'm just praying right now, Father, I ask you right now that you would remove the calluses, Lord, that you wouldn't just, I know that you don't just expose people just to to expose the nerve endings and cause pain and shame, Lord, you, you took upon all of our pain and all of our shame upon yourself. But, Lord, I pray that you would remove the hardness, that you would give us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone, and that your love and your mercy and your goodness would penetrate our hearts, Lord God, that we would be awakened to the destiny and the purpose that you've called us to walk in, Lord God. Lord, I pray, O healer of the broken, that you would meet, each and every person in the place of their pain, in the place of their disappointment, in the place of their disenchantment, God, and that you would revive them, that you would bring new hope, that you would breathe your breath of life into their nostrils, and that they would come alive in you. Lord, I pray even as we take this time to baptize those that are here, that will go into the water symbolically is going into the grave, putting to death the old, and they will rise up symbolically and supernaturally in resurrection life, declaring that my life belongs to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would stir hearts in here to take that step to go from death to life, to step from their will to thy will. honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.